0: So anyway, for so for all our
1: wait, wait, let me do this right. So all our uh, fans and listeners, uh, <laughs> and there are many which uh, across in, the world. We which... haven't really met any of them, but I guess there are. Uh, there's a there's a whole. Uh, I think about fifty percent of uh, Estonia's population eagerly waits <laughs> our podcast and our opinions about what's happening in India.
0: Yeah, and hopefully there should be like a sample of at least ninety five percent of our spouses or something. Right?
1: Ninety five percent of our spouses sounds very wrong. It means yeah, that but... you have multiple <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you have
1: a larger pool to choose than two.
0: No, that was uh, assuming that we will eventually have more guests on the show and you know huh? you can add all the spouses and then all we'll the spouses. Ah their... huh, <laughs> that's that's
1: uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh that's good enough to save your face uh, if yeah. Sarah yeah. ever yeah. listens that's...
0: to this. <laughs>
1: Yeah, why are we here? I why are we you, here?
0: Yes, I think so, you, you
1: could basically talk about your thoughts and what urged you to write the piece that you did, which is uh, in my opinion, a great way to basically break the uh, the situation down.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think first of all, we are recording on uh, May 30th now. So the, yeah. the piece was written quite some time back and I think the situation has changed so much that if I had written that today, I probably would have gone at it at a different angle. Because yeah. when I was talking about this, I was very frustrated with vaccine hesitancy and people not going to get their shots, right? And yeah. and trying to convince people to get their shots for their own good. And people yeah. are not going. Right. But from there to now, right? Like in a, in a span of, I guess, a couple of months, yeah. they have gone from people not going to for a vaccine to people are like dying to get a vaccine or like you know people are queuing up and desperate to get a vaccine everybody's convinced or most people are convinced now but there are just no vaccines right so let's let's park that for a future episode maybe because i think that'll get us both on a rant about multiple things right but in some cases it's also true that
1: from vaccine hesitancy we've uh, We've not moved too far and we've gone to allopathy hesitancy in some quarters where uh, uh, certain saffron clad uh, babas are talking about how <laughs> doctors have died and have killed themselves and are not worth uh, the effort to, uh, you know, even talk about those deaths because they couldn't save themselves, less yeah. dread, you know, let alone their patients. So I don't think the hesitancy is going away and the crux of that, Maybe we can discuss it later. But I think the crux of that article that you wrote that day, the base of it was uh, how we are continuously focused on uh, creating a a layer of myth around the fact, which is our own making in some cases and believing it to such a degree that we lose uh, the loose sight over what's actually true. Um, yeah. so that that's that I feel is uh, is is something that's not gone away the situations might have turned but uh, um, we you still basically get to hear a lot of the uh, information doing the rounds in whatsapp and other social media which is abjectly incorrect and
0: fake yeah I think the common thread in all of this right like say whether it is vaccine hesitancy or like like you said, allopathy hesitancy or whatever is happening, right? Whatever myth-making is uh, going on at any point in time. I think the common thread is, like you said, you know, just this, this people being willing to believe all kinds of bullshit or maybe people wanting to believe, uh, you know, things over what is real. And that's what compelled me to write the post. I don't think it was a post that I sat down one day and thought about and wrote. It was like, you know, things which were in my head for a long time, which I was frustrated by or had read or listened to at some point. Came from Uh, your gut. Yeah, came from my gut or came from a long period of frustration, maybe. And so, there were three things that I kind of uh, identified as, I don't know if those were the only three causes, but these in my head are three major causes of the the fake news pandemic uh, that is going on. right? Yeah. So, the first one I think is the glorification of faith, right. which I think has been going on for a long time. Like, we've all experienced it in some manner or the other, like, right yeah. from childhood, right? But, I mean, I think I think in the present day, that has got weaponized. So, that might be different. But, mm. but the phenomenon itself is very old. Right. And the basic premise is very simple, right? And so, what happens is that, Anytime so- somebody's talking to you, whether that's somebody in your family or somebody like high up in society, uh, like in your school, like you know, if your teachers or the principal is giving a speech or something like that, like, any any kind of uh, like any person in a position of authority, kind of uh, place to place to the sentiment that you should have faith, right? And yeah. that is a virtue that that you should have faith. You should believe, right? in in some religions like christianity which i grew up in it is absolutely a, a you know a core tenet of the the belief system itself yeah right? but you hear different versions of it in different places it it might be have faith in your you know the one true god yeah. or it it's like have faith in your i don't know culture your ancestors your elders your government which is maybe more recent right? so it all comes down to e- you should have faith instead of instead of glorifying what we should glorify which is you know you should think for yourself or you should look at the evidence before believing in something and and this is so deep rooted that i think you see signs of it uh, in any kind of like cultural representation of this so and and it's not even limited to india right so i've actually noticed this more in hollywood movies where you always have a blockbuster movie where there is always at least one scene where you'll have like a very reasonable or rational person. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the protagonist, right? And and there is a moment in that story where at a critical juncture, they will say, "I don't know, but I have faith or I believe," and then they go on to like save the day. Right? Yeah, like you talk about uh, the Justice League yeah, situation. Justice League. Batman. Batman is supposed to be this person who's all into science and tech and gadgets, but but in yeah, yeah. so I, I'll just talk about that for a second, like you know, for because I guess a lot of people would have seen it. So in Justice League, the scene that I'm talking about is when uh, right after the newly assembled Justice League decides that they will revive Superman, mm. Alfred tells Batman that you know this is a very dangerous idea. You're you're talking about resurrecting. An alien, right? Like a super powerful alien with right. another alien technology which has come to kill the world or whatever. Yeah. And and nobody even stops to think that, like is this a good idea? Is the resurrected Superman going to be dangerous or is he going to save the world? And nobody cares, right? Like even though what they're risking is the fate of the whole world. But yeah. but Batman is like, Alfred, for the first time in my life, I am operating purely on faith or something yeah. like that. Right. And then he gets into the helicopter or that transport plane, and goes off to save the day. Yeah.
1: So,
0: so that's exactly what I'm talking about. So, so have you noticed that? Like, is it just me or because I feel this is pervasive across movies, books, I think you it, I see. think it's. I think it is. But I, I, my
1: opinion is slightly different in terms of. I think a lot of the movies just play to the galleries that they are in so they're operating within and I think the galleries have used the word faith very loosely for Mm. everything that we don't really understand or we don't want to process, Uh, we leave it to hope and faith and Mm. and I think every dialogue that is written that can't be explained through pure logic, I think it's easier to uh, just say sometimes that it's faith and I'm not saying that You know, at all points of time, that's people don't have faith. I think faith, I think concepts like faith and concepts like religion or spirituality or, you know, belief in something which is higher than what you can achieve are just conversations to have. I think as a human race, uh, you can go there. You can have those conversations at any point of time. I don't think there is anything wrong with having that conversation. I feel that the, the way that I see the point that you made there about faith uh, being, the, being one of the tenets of why we see a lot of the f- you know, fake news and fake ecosystems prosper in, uh, in the last five years and six years is because I think faith is used as, um, as a means to differentiate between people who have faith and people who don't have faith. And mm. that that can then be linked to, you know, the idea of a country, the idea of uh, what is good versus what is bad and what is um, what are the values that we should live as a, a set of people and, you know, who are these other people who don't live by our value? And I think that is where faith is basically treading on, you know, uh, on dangerous uh, water. And I think, uh, or whatever that uh, phrase is, Pardon my lack of uh, the exact phrase, but um, you're you're basically talking about faith in a way that you can alienate people rather than uh, you know bring them together. And in the in the course of uh, like Batman basically said, I'm operating in faith. Uh, the the current ecosystem of uh, information is also running on faith. Uh, because yes. e- e- effectively, uh, people what they are saying as in what are the major media houses or people who basically give you information about what to do and what not to do and like you talked about in your article about people uh, believing that Corona might be solved if you stir your uh, portion uh, thrice and clockwise and you know <laughs> thrice anti-clockwise and maybe that system of doing it that way will cure or cure you of certain symptoms. I think that faith ecosystem is just basically running on the fact that nothing is bad, going to happen, really happen. We are blowing it out of the ocean. Or we've landed up in this situation because uh, we didn't really listen to our ancestors' way of living and somehow we've become too modern for our own good. And those are uh, factors that people fear. And when they fear, they basically come back to this Uh, age-old thing or maybe some part of their subconscious or some part of their child in them comes back to this environment where i know what to do when i'm afraid i need to basically pray i need to look at my faith i look at i I look at my beliefs i look at my god to save me from this environment and if you translate that thought uh, logically in your head then you start thinking oh what did my ancestors do? They didn't really have modern medicine. What did they do? They were all fit. As in, I remember, my grandfather being, you know, able to walk when he was eighty years old, straight, and yeah. blah blah. You find some reasons in your head to basically say all was hunky dory and all is bad right now because I'm I'm thirty five and I have breathing issues and I have, uh, you know, I'm really really lazy and my parents went lazy and it has something to do with. Uh, you know, my old practices. So you shift back your gears from, uh, you fall into faith and then from for faith, you basically fall back into this uh, archaic way of looking at uh, uh, medicine or lifestyle and all of those pieces start coming in. And once you go into that, there's no pulling you back because it's very difficult for you to, when I try and pull somebody out of that uh, cycle of thought, I'm actually... Uh, fighting with their faith not their thinking so it's basically the faith that you have to counter and it's very difficult because ultimately what will happen it will happen that you know is your logic your your logic is based on modern science your logic is based on modern information I'm operating from a 3500 year old handbook so how are you going to basically tell me that that handbook is not right so everything basically becomes yeah So I feel that that, that is how things have uh, moved that way. Movies are a sign of, you know, uh, even when we were growing up, every movie had a temple scene in India, right? And every, there were so many movies where uh, the climax or the uh, resolution happened in a holy space or with, or with some kind of, uh, you know, uh, holy intervention where somebody who was blind for life regained sight or somebody whose parts were not working suddenly started operating at full 100% Mm -hmm. power and uh, you know things happened to uh, finally you know good prevailed and evil evil, uh, died is the psychology that we've been all brought up with so effectively it's easier for us to you Know, go back there, and it's also easier for movies to show us that because it's so acceptable for us to understand. Okay, yeah, if nothing works, faith will obviously make it happen. Uh, yeah, you know, so that's what and, that's how I think about
0: it. And I think that that's something that I had, you know, sort of written or wondered in the post itself, like whether. Yeah because i know that this is a topic that you and i are very passionate about and we'll talk about later in at some point but yeah. like say a conspiracy theorists would would probably take what i said and say that oh movies have a you know like a sinister plot to sort of plot brainwash yeah. people right?
1: to subvert uh,
0: yeah.
1: the reality uh,
0: yes. yeah i don't think that's what's happening but like you said movies are like a mirror reflecting uh, society what society wants or what society is comfortable consuming especially yeah. when you have a environment of censorship so so the movie makers are not really like pushing the boundaries or fewer movie makers are pushing the boundaries. so so what you see is like yeah. the safe formula and the safe formula is to pander to things which are already there which is like yeah. faith right? and,
1: and two disclaimers as in, i think, i feel that you know movies are all not that bad and when people talk about faith faith and hope can be strong uh, uh, fundamental uh, ideas that can tide over uh, a really difficult situation because what you need in those situations is to have faith in yourself sometimes and believe in things that you believe in and tide over things and you know a lot of wars and a lot of situations are are, are handled and resolved by people who have faith determination so yeah. it's not all bad I think the and the second disclaimer is that you know uh, we are not dishing Batman and Dust League and all that stuff here just because of that one line they have pushed the frontiers of uh, you know VFX and they've pushed, uh, pushed the the uh, frontiers of uh, you know looking cool on screen so uh, effectively those are those are pieces that uh, we respect them for, for, for but sometimes they also leave these uh, tidbits in our head which play around with people who are excessively controlled by faith and when they are excessively yeah. controlled by faith uh, it's a it's a ticking time bomb on you know all parameters because you i don't know when somebody might basically not vaccinate to your point the hesitancy there i'm sure there's still some hesitancy around vaccination of some people who just say that no no i can't get something alien jabbed into my arm uh, i'm okay i'm going to survive this any which way one day they won't so there might be cases around the world of exactly that, and that's faith-based.
0: Absolutely, and and I just want to go back to something that you said uh, when we were talking about, like you know, the depiction of faith in movies versus like what you said yeah. about you know. The, so I think so. What you said there, right? That the the way faith is used by most people, it's it's like when the when the logic fails, right, or when you don't have answers. That's yeah. why movies do it too, right? Like, like you said, it's a lot yeah. easier to have that one line Push because it. otherwise, yes. yeah, like otherwise, Justice League would need another half an hour to explain why they made why? that choice. Yeah, right? yeah correct. But, which, which is difficult. So, so the simple answer is okay, put in this line which kind of works wonders and has worked for many, many years, and then jump to the next scene. Exactly. But the problem is that I feel that is exactly what politicians or governments are using, right? So, it's like they are painting the narrative. So, it's like they are the movie makers. So, they are the storytellers. Yeah. And they are telling a story which has a logical inconsistency. Like, say, when they are saying that, oh, India is ahead of every other country in the fight against COVID. So suddenly, you what, And then say that, okay, faith. Right? You should have faith in the government. You should have positivity. Right? Yeah. So, so, it is actually a good thing. Like you said, It if used well for a lot of people, faith and hope, faith in yourself, faith in something is something that gives you hope and something that helps you tide over. But yeah. it shouldn't be something that a government uses to tide over their you know, inadequacies, which is what I feel is happening. And not just governments, right? Like, say, uh, you know, whoever is spreading propaganda or whoever is and doing think, a disinformation.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a... It's a and... Effectively, we are moving to a very serious uh, conversation, part of the conversation rather than, you know, being about movies and, you know, what you interpret interpret from them. So in some ways, if I took the example of, or if I take the example of 2013 Uh and 14, we were going through a rough space. It's all relative. That rough space was the worst that we had seen. We saw that, you know, there was a government that was dysfunctional you didn't really know whether your prime minister and the leader of the party really had the uh, voice uh, left in the country to basically call out what was wrong and what was right and move forward there were certain things that were not working right so you know you were looking for alternatives and here comes somebody who's basically giving you alternatives who's yeah. who has the who has the perfect narrative to talk about uh, you know what's wrong within the within the country that we live in and, you know, there are some structural things that we've not focused on for so long. And That's even, true. you know, we've never heard a prime minister candidate or even a individual in the political spectrum talking about the fact that, you know, small things like, you know, good governance is uh, lesser government, government and more public-private yeah. public, par- par- public uh, uh, private partnerships. It is about, you know, making sure that smaller rules work. It It is about, uh, you know, simplifying our legal ecosystem and doing away with you know loophole laws that continue to basically uh, exist in our in our society so you, you started a narrative and that narrative gave so many people faith and belief that you know there was somebody who was looking at it like they were and that belief and that faith led you to do something that was brilliant because for the for the longest time um, and people, it is it's it's, uh, it's it is hard to believe that we've forgotten that. In 2012, we never felt or never believed that a single party could actually get seats. It was yeah. always a coalition party. And we thought at that point in time that the coalition party was the real issue or the problem that we had to get rid of because nobody, no, the major party could not take decisions. They were slowed down by these smaller parties who had vote banks to basically please or they were diametrically opposite in terms of their thinking patterns so effectively it was always very difficult to take big decisions it was always incremental small decisions that you could take the big ones would basically you know brush be brushed under the carpet but that belief in the fact that now you could see change and that faith in in the in the population that you know if i change my Vote and give this new guy a chance, the guy who's basically talking all of these right things. Yeah, maybe I'll get into a place where it's better than what it was before. And that is exactly what happened with 2014. Everybody, most of the people in India, if you didn't like uh, uh, Modi as a figure, uh, even then you were basically in some ways happy about the fact that, okay, a single party had got a uh, majority. Uh, at that point in time, it was not a direct majority. I think they, were, they, they had some coalition partners, but very small. Majority was with this particular eight, you know uh, party. And then effectively, you had one leader. You had the leader to basically guide the entire team around. You had uh, professional people coming into the mix for the first time. So it was all driven by faith and belief. And the outcome of that faith and belief was good. Uh, in in how you thought about it, how you looked about it, looked at it. In hindsight, you can go back and, you know, have a conversation about whether it was good or not. And, you know, it's all relative yeah. and we are really worse off than we were ever in in our entire lives. But, um, the, you know, faith worked. Faith and belief worked. And they worked in a way that basically brought people together to a common cause. And that is the singular power of of that activity now your disenchantment is also a kind of belief that you have and um, it can basically go the other route but my point is like you know those are important um, aspects in your life you can't let go of faith belief hope uh, because they drive you to do certain things and when they drive you for something that you think is good can you hear me Sorry, I think yeah, I lost you. Even cut moved. out for a second. I, I don't know if that reflects in the audio, but I can hear you now. But yeah, but that that's my point. As in, in terms of when I'm thinking about faith and the necessity of this, I think it's really important. But it can go a completely different route, and it has. That same faith, uh, a lot of people has been have been dilution, uh disillusioned, by what has happened over the last five six years. But a vast majority. Of Indians still remain grounded in that uh, uh, illusion of uh, a savior uh, coming to help us, and that savior is something that is basically deeply connected to the Indian philosophy as well. Because we have so many saviors, it's not like yeah. you know, in Abathard. Christianity, yeah, in Christianity and in Islam and other various uh, religions, there aren't enough. There aren't uh, too many figureheads of your religion. But within Hinduism or Buddhism or Jainism, maybe not Buddhism, but at least in Jainism and Sikhism, there are multiple
0: um, you know figureheads. And not the, just multiple figurines, I think room for multiple, right? Like say in Christianity room, you yes, have one savior room, and that's yes. it. Right? Yeah. Or in Islam there is one savior. And yeah. you get other others like saints, but those are like at like the belief system itself kind of limits exactly. them a little. So it gives you room to basically think that there's
1: somebody else. As in when last year the Ram Mandir was getting built there were uh, 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 or the regulation passed that you could build it. Uh, You know, the court case came out uh, and handed them victory. You could see images of uh, Narendra Modi uh, you know uh, uh, has uh, Lord Rams a uh, a child, child's hand mm, yeah, yeah in yeah. in his hands and he's taking lord ram or the you know uh, lalla ram lalla to the uh, to the new home so effectively you've, the messaging is very straight that this individual is a savior and for everybody who believes deeply in faith of the religious variety and the fact that there are certain things that are wronged in this modern world that have to be uh, you know corrected as long as that uh, forever of faith continues, uh, you will have people like him, you know, ruling the roost because at the end of the day, he's he's just a con man. He's just trying to basically con uh, them as well. He, as in there are multiple reports about how how much of a Bhakt Modi himself is. He's not. He's basically plays that part because it knows that that part wins him over and
0: wins people um, to work for him. And it's but, as simple as that. So that is what I'm, you know, like, so that's where I'm coming from. Like, so at the end of the day, this all comes down to faith, which is all around g- getting misused by somebody, right? And yeah. I'm, I'm slightly conflicted on this. Now, I know that, like, say, especially among the, you know, the non-religious or like, you know, for somebody who's an atheist, a common theme, or co- a common thread that you'll hear is that religion is a source of all evil or like you should get away or do away with religious thinking to... To save ourselves, which yeah. I don't fully agree with, uh, because I I think it has like if it hadn't played a part, I don't think we would have like had it for so many like millennia. Yeah. But but where I'm conflicted about is now even if, even in my blog post, if you if you read it right, I was yeah. kind of trying to make a case that we should stop glorifying faith and we should we should value or we should glorify people who ask for proof. Correct. Now I'm wondering now, especially after this conversation, that. Maybe the answer is not to really try to get people to back off from faith. Maybe that is impossible or too deeply rooted or, or very closely held, like you said. Yeah. But maybe we should just try to go back to, if we ever had it at one, one point, uh, a separation of your faith from things like politics or yeah. medicine. right? So The probable difference between the church and the state. That is church and the state. Yeah. Sadly... Now you know the difference between the church and medicine or hospitals, right? Like don't don't bring your faith into into your medicine choices. That's when that's when you get a Baba Ramdev in the middle of it, right? So, but I don't know how to go about it. Like, so maybe this is a cycle where you know people go from like you said, first you think that coalition parties are the problem, you you react, and then you you buy into the narrative.
1: I have a a thought around this, and I think it is, uh, you know, one way you can look at it is that, you know, somebody trying to, uh, in some ways, influence you in a certain way um, and trying to basically milk the situation to their benefit. I think that's, that's pretty, uh, that's, that's true for all politicians. Because we've, we've really had that ecosystem really for the last 70 years where, it's largely been to appease uh, people and uh, you know really forget about actually doing any kind of um, hard work or change at the ground level to enable the fact that certain you know basic things are not talked about like why yeah. are we still talking about electricity or water or you know the uh, the fact that people don't have housing here or there's o- o- open defecation uh, in india or There is basically healthcare not available. Why are we still talking about it? Because we'll continue to talk about it because uh, we've slowly been turned into really short-sighted folks who have spent so long having so little that um, even a little uh, bit of, um, uh, you know, a little shiny little toy that comes our way is enough for us to basically calm down
0: rather than you know wanting an entire hospital so maybe so a what small yeah so, so what it, you're saying sounds very much like the the description of an abusive relationship <laughs> exactly so yeah
1: so we've we've been in a toxic relationship as in this with is, gauntlet, what it is. Yeah. with 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 power i think with power yeah yeah so effectively people say that it's it's a fact of you know um, I don't know. English, uh, English Malo, English, they Malo, uh, some people basically say that uh, slavery छोड़के so that mindset of uh, you know su- you know su- being subservient yeah. to a higher power is I don't I don't believe that that's only you know because the British ruled uh, over us I think it's uh, it's it's the reason why British could rule over us is we were always basically a little affected by power. And right from the time when there was, uh, you know, kings and, uh, you know, uh, the stories that we have, I am not a historian, so I don't know actually how those ecosystems thrived, but we've always been a little subservient to power and it shows in our psyche. Now, coming back to the, uh, the point that you were making about, you know, the the fact that uh, this is used to um, i'm sorry I, I lost my
0: chain of thought the point that you ended with what was yeah, the so, point that you ended with so basically the fact that faith is misused by people in power and and i think once they they do that right they kind of they kind of making the the general yeah. populace's mind and also, fertile for misused by other people as well right like no and, and the other thing, about, other thing that you talked about other uh, think that you talked
1: about the the fact that you know there's uh, it's very difficult to fight faith yeah it's very difficult to basically get uh, get that out of your system yeah but on the other hand as in i think that the current government has been able to fight faith of replacing other pieces with one narrative as in if i think about it um, ram is the new identification of india or Hindu, right? Yeah. Uh, but I've always grown up, and I think every Indian has grown up thinking and talking about the fact that we have millions of gods,
0: yeah. and we have
1: you know there was a plurality in our belief system of the fact that you could be you know a Shiv bhakt and you could be uh, you know uh, you know Madurga, uh, you know uh, bhakt, right? Yeah. And if you look at the new narrative. Of uh, Ram, it is basically even in a in a place like Calcutta or West Bengal, where Durga Puja is like a big event, and everybody really uh, calls Durga Ma Ma in in a oh, you know in a uh, in an absolute uh, gesture of love and bonding with 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 the God. They have been able to basically alienate that is non-Hindu.
0: Yeah. They've
1: been able to basically not even, you know, so the, the audacity is that in some ways, faith can be, um, the audacity of the situation tells me that, it, you know, the faith can be actually molded. And you could basically talk about faith in a way that it becomes slightly singular. And that I think has been done across the ages by Christianity and by Islam, yeah. where they've gone and propagated their gods, and their belief system, and their religion. And Why is you that? You replace one for the other. Right? Yes, yes, you, you did, did, right? You one but we're not able to basically tolerate it right now, because it's Hindu. Right now. The narrative, the new narrative is Hindu. As in, at this point of time, nobody's really spreading this. And they might be, they might be still, you know, like uh, we were talking about Trance one day, that movie, uh, that uh, Malayalam movie. And yeah. the story it tells about this individual who's basically nothing, and then he grows into this um, uh, amazing uh, God man. There are people like that who exist today as well, as and who are selling religion effectively. But the fact is that I, my religion, is still open to absorb new things. It is what my takeaway is from this, uh, uh, you know, situation of the last five, six years that we've let go. We've so easily not been the Hindus, Mm -hmm. have not been, um, you know, um, how do you put it? Have not been angry at the fact that here is somebody who's only talking about Ram. What happened to the other millions of gods that we have? As in, are they not important to be basically, uh, is that not a sign of India? And only Jai Shri Ram has become a sign of India? As in, what what about the other, uh, you know, why aren't people fighting with each other and saying, say, Mm -hmm. Namo, uh, or something of that sort. Why aren't people basically saying that? Uh, so it, it, is, it is convenient because it is not about drama. It is about differentiating with another set of people who have another set of beliefs. And that so, is why it is working. So as long as you pitch yourself to differentiate yourself with somebody else and while in power you do it, Right. You have to be in power to do it because yeah. you could create today, um, you know, a, a, a wing of uh, modern thinking, pragmatic thinking, and that could be your new religion. And if you're in power and if you're able to basically sell it to enough people, that will become the new Jai Shri right? As we've been fighting with that uh, also. And, and parallelly where people think that, there is only two classes of people the intellectuals and stupid Indians who don't know any better and the unfortunately the for the intellectuals who've voiced that multiple times the stupid Indians have gone you know gained access to the throne and now are basically giving it back to those intellectuals as in that that's the that's the essence of where we are right now it is fight over you know
0: today i i have I have bigger balls and so uh, I think the yeah. The, the cycle that is happening there right? it's it's like you said faith is getting replaced by another type of faith or a faith in something else whereas yeah. what I was hoping for or what I was trying to make a case for is the you know like getting some kind of popular support for a lack of faith so, so the example that I took from Christianity like something that mm. I, I have like grown up hearing a lot is the story of doubting Thomas so yeah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it but so thomas one of the disciples of jesus uh, oh. who incidentally is supposed to have been the one who came to india and and founded christianity in in kerala goa and all these places so oldest you know christian denomination in india like going yeah. back to like thousands of years was started by thomas and and the story about thomas in the bible now i have to go back and read it to see if it was really portrayed in that way but but when, when jesus was how you remember
1: I, it's actually more important of how you remember it because that is what yes. stays what stays in the book doesn't stay actually
0: so how i remember it is of course colored by what i've been told repeatedly in church oh, by priests yeah. which is more important
1: i feel yeah. it is
0: more important so so the portrayal there is always that like say in every every time you go to church for a service on sunday so towards the end of the service there is a speech uh, by the priest who will pick a topic which is relevant for the day or something like that. And it's like a combination of taking a topic from the Bible and also giving you advice based on it. And and a very common topic that a lot of these priests would take is the story of Doubting Thomas, where Jesus got crucified and three days later he was resurrected. So, mm. so the disciples were not the first people to see him after he got resurrected. So they heard other people say that he's been resurrected and, you know, word spread. And when Thomas heard this, so Thomas one, was one of the few or probably the only person who said, I don't believe this. How can he be back from the dead? And he refused to believe it. And then finally, Jesus appeared to him uh, as a spirit. And even then, he was still doubtful. So so he said that, I want to touch and see you or something like that. And, hmm. and he went and touched Jesus, realized that he was flesh and blood now. And and that's the story. So the story always ends with this being like an example of how wrong uh, Thomas was. But, mm. but when I look at it, right? So what did Thomas do wrong exactly? Like, say somebody came and told him that, you know, uh, your, your teacher has risen from the dead. And somebody's telling you that. And of course, he refused to believe it. Yeah. And he wasn't unreasonable, right? So it's not that he refused to believe it and he ran away or something. So he asked for proof he got it. He completely became a believer. He he traveled the high seas, went to foreign lands, got persecuted, and all of that, right? So, yeah. so, what is wrong in that story? Like, so, why is it so much of a problem that he doubted at first? Whereas, that doubt is probably what kept him from becoming, I don't know, like in the modern context, like from becoming a jihadi or something like that, right? Yeah. That's what stops you from getting brainwashed by a lot of people.
1: No, but so, I think,
0: yeah, Fair,
1: and i think my take on that story and i read
0: it for for the first time in your
1: uh blog oh. <laughs> and I, I i felt that because obviously i'm not you know i'm yeah, not exposed yeah. to it so, but uh, i can understand it i can understand the story and the way that basically you've written it but if you were to basically break it down into basics in my head i feel it is a uh, it's a simple conversation about it's not about Thomas or anybody else. It's about the story is reiterated in your head is that belief is at loggerheads with logic. Yeah. So when you believe something, believe in it. Yeah. And it should be um, unwavering. So you cannot waver on your belief. Because if you believe in God and the one son of God and the fact that the son of the God is perpetual, uh, is never going to leave us, you will believe the minute um, you hear of his resurrection saying that, oh, I always believed that he would come back. So I think the story is more about that than anything else. But the the fact is that our, uh, you know, there is a nuance here in life, the whole conversation about, because the way that you're looking at it right now is trying to basically, um, trying to address the fact that scientific temperament of asking questions and doubting is getting equated to, you know, belief in the spiritual world. So in effect, when I think about that, I think about, you know, doubting Thomas is the example to take it, take, take in. But there yeah. is also, you know, the the fact that, you know, certain... So the doubting Thomas could be on the other side as well. Wherein a doctor who's basically treating you always tends to go back to Ayurveda when yeah. faced with a real challenge because he doubts that medical science will actually do anything. Because he doesn't believe in the medical science. as It could be looked at that way as
0: well on the other side. So from if a, you look at it, if you look at it that way, right? I, I think, I think what like say what you said, right? say scientific yeah. temperament. I think that's the key key thing there, right? So maybe yeah, because like you we, said, we live in a world where that
1: those basic tenets of our scientific temperament are being questioned today. As in, it, it starts with uh, somebody. Uh, as in, it always starts with selfish motives of individuals who want to retain power. And control. So, do you? So, do it you is translated into human beings
0: as a belief system. Again,
1: where so you, you start questioning. Is,
0: so, do you think it is a case of scientific temperament or the tenets of it being questioned? Or no, it In is, the Indian context, I feel like it never really took s- root too deep to begin with.
1: No, I think it took real big. As an, I don't think scientific temperament. I I don't think any kind of temperament has taken any kind of roots in india for me i believe that the only temperament that indians have is to progress and grow and to be opportunistic about certain things so the sense of scare- scarcity is the only thing that basically drives us and that yeah, is why I, we are engineers? engineers no no I'm, I'm coming to that that is why we are engineers and doctors not for the fact that we basically love to you know find and explore new areas we think that doctors and engineers earn more and therefore we basically
0: gravitate towards those areas i'm not yeah,
1: and, i'm not generalizing and that's it. part
0: of the problem right like say say i i am also like a useless engineer so so that's part of the problem because i don't i mean no offense to any engineer listening to this which i don't think yeah. so. but but are there like... are there any engineers
1: <laughs> in estonia i don't know
0: yeah i'm not sure so, yeah, but, but our, like my wife is an engineer, so if she listens mm. to it, you might have a offended idea. <laughs> <but. laughs> She's going to find but, more reasons to be offended with yeah. this podcast. <laughs> so, uh. no, what I'm saying is even engineering, right? Like engineering not to dismiss engineering or like to, to see it as something lesser, but mm. engineering is an applied science, right? It's not a fundamental science. Whereas when you look at all the nations that have progressed or developed, and i'm i'm simplifying it a lot i know there are many many other factors, yeah, gen- but the generalization that we have to do to basically get the yeah, point of to, to make a point right and the point is that countries that have developed rapidly became wealthy along with other reasons uh, a big reason for that is that they they when they had the scientific revolution the, the scientific revolution was not just the fact that you got you got a train or you got a steam engine it is also the the thought process behind it and and the fact that that thought process had got kind of rooted in society. Maybe not all parts of society, yeah. but at least a significant or a or a or an important part of society. Yeah. Whereas instead, I feel like here, if you notice, like say for example, when when Covax and uh, Bharat Biotechs, like yeah. India's indigenous vaccine was developed, right. So I I looked it up I looked up the company quite a bit and realized mm. that the company is actually pretty legit like they have a very mm. long track record of uh. being very scientific and everything. Right? But and our and our regulators when they are I don't think they did anything really wrong in approving it. So now this is probably another debate. But I feel like the problem was that they didn't they didn't approve other drugs, but. But the problem was when they, when they did approve Covaxin, right? if, you, if you notice the kind of statements that India's government officials or regulators made, they mm. said things like, uh, get this ready by August 15th. Or, mm. you know, they didn't just say that this is safe. Uh, they didn't say that it is safe at a certain percentage. They said this is 110% safe. Right? Yeah. So, so the problem is that even there, we have faith so even in a scientific process or even when we are talking about indian scientists and having pride in indian scientists yeah. you ask for 110% safety yeah. and faith in that right so so you're you're bringing faith even into that now you this make a, i have the problem you make a very right? important I a point
1: i think because i it's that that is how we operate i think and our yeah. operation style is basically more believed in you know uh, so Believe is the goal, and trust yeah. is the goal, rather than it being basically the outcome of a scientific experiment. It is basically, you know, I have to get there, or I believe that we'll basically get there. and yeah. have faith in God. As in half, as an I'm not saying that it's it's wrong, but sometimes when you basically, uh, you know, somebody maybe at the biotech, um, uh, biotech factory, if they want to basically open their day with a puja i have nothing wrong with it but i think if that stops you from opening your vaccine shop yeah. then there's some ways basically you're uh, your you're maybe screwed you're maybe operating at a very different level or uh, a different i don't want to basically put a lot yeah. of words there but, but the point is that i think any kind of temperament of growth and scientific temperament has is looking at an inefficiency and trying to basically make the system more efficient, and science is basically continuously to you know done that. Effectively, one is to know why something that is happening, to say the way that it is happening, and what could you do to basically change an uh, inefficient process. So you go, want to go from point A to point B. You want to basically design that's faster on the way. If you want to basically look at uh, you know an efficiency or inefficiency of doing something. Uh, from a production line perspective, you want to basically improve the production line with, you know, making something. And there is enough temperament in our v- psychology as well to improve it. It's called Jugaad in India.
0: Yeah. But
1: largely that Jugaad philosophy is always under pressure to improve it. It is not, Jugard is never to basically, you know, make it in, efficient at your own time and cost is to basically comply with something that is, uh, you know, pressurizing you to become more efficient. So if it's competition, if it's basically, you know, some kind of regulation, we are using Jugard to solve it. So we have the temperament to solve it.
0: And I think Jugard is kind of by definition reactive right like say it's like so yes exactly like, like it comes after the problem arises yes. whereas yes. Yes. in a lot of scientific advancement what you're doing is like say when when like so people ask uh, like you know why do you have a particle accelerator like why do you yeah. go into fundamental sciences so there are like to really get ahead in science or in those fields uh, you have to do things for the sake of you know learning more or finding out more truth it's not that yes. you see a problem and you're trying to solve that problem you're you're creating problems for yourself. And that's yeah. how you, you get ahead. And then once you do that, then you get practical applications of that like five years down the line. Yeah, Which we don't do. We are always no. waiting for the problem and to which arise we, and then we create uh, it and solve it.
1: And when we say when, when we don't do, it also means us as uh, yes. you and me. As It's yeah. not, you know, this whole conversation is not, to some extent, it is not uh, only about, you know, the, the, the third person. Uh, yet, yeah. We are not talking about people in the third person. We are also talking about our DNA to solve certain things,
0: and Correct. to
1: improve certain things. It comes even from I a certain of pressure.
0: You know, even I identify with being like, you know, like doing jugad or like, you know, yeah. solving that like operationally or whatever. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And as long as we, that's like a rut that we are stuck in. We, it's a great thing. Of course, it's a, it's a fantastic talent like which gets you out of, uh, like. A lot of issues, right? Even right yeah. like, even now, like the mess that we are in in India right now. Of course, you can't get those people's lives back. But yeah. now that the problem has arisen, I'm sure that you'll see like 200 different solutions to it. But but we got into Do, that mess in the first place because we didn't really like you know we waited for that problem to come. If we if we wait basically,
1: um, and I I've read this and I've studied this from when I was doing that Indian healthcare project that if you were to basically take a stock of the rules and regulations that we follow from a healthcare perspective, a healthcare establishment perspective, and the kind of care that our regulations basically ask us to provide at all points of time. uh, If you were to take a stock of it, and if you were to basically draw a line saying that you can only treat people if you have those basic norms in place, then you will not be able to treat 95% of the people that you are treating right now. Because your infrastructure yeah. is basically completely screwed up. You are already operating at a layer of Juga to basically <laughs> put things together. And if yeah. somebody basically were to come and tell me that I have to enforce 15 things here in your hospital, and until that happens, I am not able to basically give you a, um, uh, uh, a nod to go ahead and start treating people our ecosystem will collapse completely because we don't have the wherewithal to get it done uh, in that, you know, with all the regulations in place. So even if you talk about every sector of our lives, if you talk about restaurants, as in the case that happened around uh, the fire exit, uh, people who passed away, uh, there was a really bad accident in a restaurant, a mill, old mill in Bombay. Where mm-hmm. there was a fire and people were not able to exit because there were no fire exits, only one entry, and people got trapped in that smoke and passed away, right? And oh, th- as a reaction, then... it happened a couple of years back, where you know a really pricey, you know, oh yeah, uh, I remember, you know, you saw, expensive yeah. place, where there were gazebos outside. Those gazebos caught fire, and you know, it was people died. And people died and and at that point in time, you realize that you can have a conversation on the restaurant business, how difficult it is to get licenses. Uh, People basically don't give you licenses until unless you're, you know, spending far more money than you're making, effectively making that entire enterprise uh, loss making. So you won't get into the restaurant business. Second, there is no regulation or check. Uh, you are supposed to have a fire exit when you're on the top floor but you don't have it because uh, you know
0: in 90% of the buildings in india don't have a concept of fire exit yeah so I, th- you know but I think, so i think you make a very important point the the fact that it's not that we start off and then we do jugat. it's like the system only functions because you're doing jugat. But... okay See, i think you got cut off for a second there yeah i did so what were you saying yeah so i was just Responding to what you're saying uh, and saying that you make a very important point there on Jugad that we are not actually you know doing Jugad as a way of solving for a problem like we are not starting off and then doing Jugad to get out of it. The right. entire system is based on Jugad because it doesn't have the bare bones foundation of what it needs to function. So so Jugad is where you start from. Jugad is exactly not always just reactive. It's kind of your starting point as well. And Correct. You were just talking about that.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's exactly what I was saying. And, uh, and, you know, all of these conversations, as in, if we need to culminate the faith conversation, and if we need to basically uh, talk about a few philosophies of how philosophers looked at the, uh, looked at the faith angle multiple times. Uh, something that comes to my mind is uh, what Albert Camus uh, talked about uh, the French uh, Algerian born French philosopher uh, who, you know, took on what uh, um, you know, Arthur Schopenhauer said about the the will to live and uh, the fact that life might not have a very uh, 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 defined purpose and if you need to basically look for it sometimes you're not able to find it in that uh, uh, in that life because effectively what happens is that um, you you there are certain absurdity absurdities in life. And how Albert Camus put it is that life is absurd. Um, if you try to basically look for meaning and look for uh, a, a logical way around it, it never really gives you an explanation of why it is, it is not logical. So there is certain absurdities in life that basically continue happening. Now, for people who are not able to accept this, um, they, what do you call it? They, they take two um, patterns. One is they commit suicide, which mm-hmm. means that they have basically written off their life as having no purpose. And therefore they commit a suicide to let go of the physical body that is in charge of looking for meaning for them, soul, or for their mind. And the second thing is that they, uh, the other group, which basically is... Uh, uh, also committing some side of suicide is called faith, which is philosophical suicide, which is you align yourself to a particular faith which gives you the answers through mm-hmm. some, um, you know, holier power uh, or uh, larger power that basically gives you the meaning of life. So, effectively, the questions, the um, the anxieties that you have about your life, the doubts and the confusion that you have in life that gets sorted through faith. So uh, in some ways, how, um, you know, Albert Kamu puts us that effectively, if you don't accept this as in his third way is acceptance of the fact that life is absurd and you will go around uh, living your life in a very absurd way where things will not fall into each other and you will not be able to see the meaning of life. But if you accept your uh, way of life as being absurd, then you've reached the primal goal of living this life uh, comfortably. But if you haven't, you either choose physical suicide or philosophical suicide. And the philosophical suicide is what we see in faith, wherein you basically agree to a a doctrine uh, laid down by a group of people uh, that outlines how you should live life. So, when we talk about faith and why it is so strong is it's it's also inherently plugged into the acceptance of life and its mysteries and if you're not able to basically for people who you know bred in that kind of environment where they've been taught to look for meaning of life and faith uh, it is very difficult to dislodge it because ultimately you're looking for answers everybody is looking for answers some have found it or some have basically started off on day one through faith, so it's a very difficult, uh, you know, uh, problem to solve, and therefore, you know, going back to our earlier point about how some of the faith has been dis- dislodged by this present government is by replacing it with some other faith, or just dis- you know displacing what you know, and trying to basically accumulate it into one channel and and trying to force that way through. So yeah. that de- therefore that of Jayashiram comes about uh, the millions of gods that we had which can be forgotten because faith replaces another faith but absolute pragmatism or you know the acceptance of the fact that life might, might not have meaning it's a very difficult uh, thing to understand and accept and uh, a lot of us a lot of us have not accepted
0: it because we can't let go of our tenets in faith In fact, when you say this, I'm just wondering, like, say, Mm. you know, a lot of this, of course, when you look at it scientifically, like, if you really look at it scientifically, uh, and ask somebody, like, who follows that way of thinking, some Mm. of them would say the same thing that you know that, yeah, life has no inherent meaning, or there is no purpose or whatever. But I still wonder, like, what percentage of scientists or, you know, people who are engaged in those pursuits, truly have that kind of acceptance? Or is it like, you know, like you say, you're replacing one faith with another faith. In this case, it's just that they replace dogma or doctrine with with a faith in a process. And that process by design, luckily, you know, leads to things like, you know, like you, you have one theory, you, you know, dispute it, and then you get rid of it, you get a new theory. So it's like, they put faith in something else, which just happens to be better, but maybe the inherent human tendency hasn't really been solved. It's not that everybody is accepting it and doing it, but maybe you have a critical mass of people who just subscribe to this new system, which is a little less harmful, maybe.
1: Absolutely. And faith is not, so to your point, faith is not only religion. Faith is belief, effectively. Uh, And coming back to the, the doubting thomas or anybody else or even conspiracy theorists, as in they believe in something and that's their faith as in it's it's their way of explaining the meaning of life for themselves and that is philosophical suicide as albert camus puts it but effectively there is also another way out of it which is a very small percentage of people in the world i think uh, the highest of the philosophical thinkers and highest of uh, the pe- and the and the simplest of the people who don't really mm. create any kind of noise in the world and live their life as as it comes
0: are the only people who have had acceptance of the fact that life is absurd yeah that's a very profound thought yeah and went a little beyond what i originally wrote this on like i i think i started off with this entire thing as stop glorifying faith because faith leads to fake news which i still do believe i think that faith especially the more dogmatic faith does lead to it but yeah, maybe I was being a little simplistic in thinking of getting rid of faith. No, like I think never be at, of. At,
1: But at the core of it, it is, it is what it is. That faith, uh, a blind faith or yeah. non-questioning faith can lead you to a place where you will only keep defending yourself because you believe in it so much that you can't see anything beyond it or you can't accept beyond it or you're scared to basically accept anything beyond it. So I guess any kind of faith will go into that place where Fake news might be created, or fake narratives will be created, or yeah. assumed narratives will be created, just to make sure that my faith reign, like, you know, reigns uh, supreme.
0: The only hopeful thought in all of this is the fact that human beings have found ways to get around this problem, right? Like, like True. you said, we have never really gotten rid of faith, but we came up with something called the scientific. Method, right? For yes, correct. Or the temperament, or yeah. when I think about it, even democracy, right? So it's, it's, it's a way of replacing something that always happens, which is correct. basically one person is in power and somebody overthrows yeah. them. Replace yeah. it with a system which does the same thing but without the blood, right? Yeah, and true. And there again, there is an element of faith. So something I've never fully understood when I was arguing with some people over, like you know, criticizing the current government, mm. is sometimes you would hear things like you know they would say. Uh, you know, you had your chance to vote and now you have to wait five years. And I would always counter it by saying that it's not that in democracy you don't have a right to criticize the government till it, it's time for the next election, right? Yeah. But if you think about it, they are also doing the whole believe in the leader thing. It's just True. that they put a five-year limit to it and say that, okay, I will. we'll all believe yeah. for five years and then yeah. we'll take another look and then, you know, then you believe in somebody and I will shut up. So Yeah, I think...
1: I, uh, yeah. And uh, the uh, the the funny thing is that uh, I, I think our, we ourselves question our belief system, uh, you know, in faster periodicals than we used to earlier. Yeah. As in there are certain things that were stayed and stable for us for years, uh, for 10 years, for a decade, for two decades, three decades, a lifetime sometimes. And now we tend to basically change them. Um, every now and then. so effectively it's very difficult to basically you know keep uh, a system devoid of belief and with the pace at which we change beliefs now or slightly deviate from our beliefs and go into another pocket, it is even more difficult to basically you know uh, find somebody within the governance structure to look up to and say that yeah. I believe in this person for um, multiple years. The point is I think we should only believe in the work done. Rather than any persona.
0: Yeah, and and I think when it comes to things like fake news, right, like which is definitely mm. like a huge challenge, I'm sure it is always around, but not Correct. at the, to the this of, yeah, yeah not to this degree because the tools did not exist, right? Correct. So if you've seen that documentary, social dilemma, which it came on Netflix Correct. recently on social media, right? Uh, so I I was listening to a podcast where there was an interview with one of the people who came on that documentary. Mm-hmm. And he said something which really stuck with me. So he was saying that, you know, he said the exact same thing, that these systems are so new that humanity hasn't really caught up with counter systems to sort of like, you know, control the ill, Ill effects or harmful effects Correct. along with all the beneficial effects, which are which are definitely there. right. And so his point was that we can't as well because fake news will always travel faster than the truth. I think some study said that it is six times faster. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. And he said, the only way we can counter it, the only thing that can move as fast is Mm. culture. So Mm. culture can change quickly. I guess what he means is that Mm. if you develop a culture where, you know, it's not cool to just believe the WhatsApp forward you got and Mm. immediately forward it, right? Mm. If you get made fun of by people in general and you Mm. get into that habit of, you know, you have this cultural expectation that you're supposed to fact check it or Google it before sending it. Yeah. i've seen it happen in pockets where you know in some groups where you do get ridiculed people are more careful about sharing it or they will say i got this it's not verified at least right. a caveat right right so i don't know like on one hand it does sound a little up in there that culture can move fast but i think honestly i think it's just that it's like your brain is not wired to deal with a facebook right where it's like writing on True. your wall and having with, it for the world
1: to as in, it's it's unable to basically i think It is unable to deal with it because of two reasons. One is uh, the mind that is dealing with it is accustomed to putting news heard from a a source um, as truth. Because that is how the conditioning has been when we were growing up. That there were channels that would give us news. And therefore, we would assume that the news that is being provided to us on television, on newspaper, on our um uh, you know any platform any website that we are reading any article that we are reading we assume our conditioning is to assume it to be true
0: yeah or somewhat and true at least right? somewhat like, true at least in in the, you know i i remember a time when you would know that a certain news outlet is slightly biased but the bias would be in the editorial page right? they, but the yeah but
1: the thing is that i think uh that filter of bias or filter of understanding the bias comes after we've understood that it's a news piece, and
0: with it comes the prerogative that it has to be true. Yeah. So the facts the, are true, right? Like the when, facts are when true. When somebody says that this happened at this place, yeah, we are assuming that that part is true, and then maybe Correct. the the news outlet writes an opinion on top of it, which people yes. can still filter out. Correct. Now we are dealing with a situation where we are reading something and we we cannot be sure if. Any of it is true.
1: Yeah, it's so, very hard for people to So effectively, we are not reading anything. We uh, yeah. uh, effectively, I think 90% of uh, throughout the world, I feel people don't read um, an article. People don't read coverage uh, as yeah. it is. Um, what happened? Where did it happen? what were the circumstances, that kind of reporting is also rare and that kind of uh, reading is also rare. What we are ultimately reading is actually watching most of the times which are opinions, which are basically distilled summarized opinions by somebody or when we are reading something we are reading effectively very colorful language on a particular topic sent to us on social media, uh, which in itself has opinions uh, at the base of you know, writing that article or writing that small piece or a post or something of that sort. So there is so much color in the way that we reading stuff that our mind either completely agrees with it or completely at, you know, the choice is either you agree or you don't disagree. The choice is never to consume it as it is yeah. and move forward. <laughs> so I think the, there is a gap between you know, the, those two worlds, which we're not able to reconcile, I feel that, you know, we get into this place of whether we should believe this, whether this is fake or whether this is not fake. What if this is fake? They're like the bodies in Ganga thing. Hmm. The point is that basically bodies in Ganga, nobody said no. But what yeah. they said that this happened in 2015 as well. That's such a what mm-hmm. is that news? As in, That news is nothing but to tell you, you should make an opinion about it very quickly. Uh, whether you are on this side or that side, uh, but it is not uh, effective reporting on how it happened. As in, we don't know how it happened yet, right? Obviously, it's uh, not uh, the government which did it. Yeah, yeah. But why did it happen, right? The government is People also not of there the in some other places. Right. Yes. Yeah. But the government is not there in other places as well. Uh, but why didn't it happen there? So effectively, there was also a people part. So there was a reporting, you know, lack of reporting also on the reasons, lack of investigation of how it happened, why it happened. So a lot of those pieces are also missing. And we are all being pushed into this opinion battle, which is, uh, you know, which is very difficult for us to fight with uh, so much, so many narratives, half of it being fake. In some ways.
0: I, rem- I remember when when I was in school, we used to have this thing where uh, you know uh, I forgot which class, but you would have to write five or ten news headlines or news items, and hmm. like hmm. each day one person had to come <laughs> and read the news, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering now if kids have to do it, there must be yeah. one kid to read the news and another kid to fact check it. I'm sure they won't do it, but you probably need that now.
1: <laughs> so I thought
0: you were go. I I thought you were going towards the fact that.
1: Maybe those have those people have grown up and become journalists now. Yeah, they, they... I don't know.
0: Or they've become <laughs> social media warriors, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: And they're creating their news then and they're creating their news now.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I think we... Yeah, like, long, fantastic discussion on faith. But yeah. just to wrap up faith and uh, move on to a couple of other things we had in this uh, agenda. Yeah. So, in the article I had written about like fake news and uh, not fake news, this in general the whole COVID mm. fake news and like anti vaxxers and all of that and correct. So one issue that I've felt and spoke about and we also spoke about now is faith. Mm. The, the the second one that I've thought a lot about and I've heard or read about as well is how people have a tendency to disregard any kind of passive risk and. Only look at active risk, mm. and just to explain what I mean by that, mm. passive risk is a risk you take by just sitting on your ass and doing nothing. Right? Yeah. It's it's the equivalent of uh, you know, you you live not in paying, an area n-
1: not paying home insurance,
0: maybe exactly not taking yeah. insurance, right? Uh, mm. or or not even insurance that that's actually in the third topic. But uh, mm. so passive risk is the choice you make to do nothing, okay, which people don't really think of as a choice, right? Mm. So so I've heard this a lot of times when I'm talking to somebody who's hesitant to take the vaccine. And mm. what they typically say is, I don't want to go and get it and ask for trouble. Or if mm. they're trying to convince their dad, their uncle, or somebody, and even if they are convinced, they will say something like, but I don't want to, because what if they go and get it after they listen to me, after I push them a lot, and then something happens to them. Correct. Right? But what is happening is that what you're avoiding there is an active risk. So the active risk here is you told somebody to go get the vaccine, then they have a very, very, very small chance of getting an extremely serious side effect or adverse reaction. So, you know, it it has to happen to the same person you told and all of that. So it's extremely unlikely, but it's still an active risk because it came from a choice you made to do something. That makes people very uncomfortable. Whereas if that same uncle is not getting vaccinated and he is very likely to get exposed to the virus and very likely to get complications and you're doing nothing to help him get it or Mm. get him over his fear of the vaccine, Mm. that is okay because people have this thing that that is not my fault, right? Correct. It's a passive risk. It's something... So I'm only responsible for things that I choose and then there is an element of risk in it. So this one concept... I think kind of drives a lot of behavior where people are just, they don't do something, even if it is a good idea because they don't want to take responsibility for the infinitely small risk there. Like say, mm-hmm. for example, I've, I've read somewhere that uh, a, a COVID vaccine is about as likely to kill you as a bolt of lightning, right? like mm-hmm. being struck with lightning and dying from the vaccine has about similar odds. Mm. You have higher odds of dying when you go out in your car, when you probably walk on the street or whatever. But you still don't want to take that active risk. But you're Mm. okay with the passive risk. Correct. And this has a lot of interesting effects, like things that you don't think of. Like, say, one, vaccine approval. So initially, I was in the same camp as most people, where I thought that every vaccine that should be approved has to complete all phase three trials. it's irresponsible to release something after phase two. Hmm. But then I I heard the counter view to that, where the fact of the matter is that you're waiting to assure more safety, more efficacy. But Hmm. at the same time, people are dying when that vaccine is not there. So Hmm. at phase two, if you know that it is safe, and you don't know exactly how effective it is, maybe it is 50%, 60%, maybe it's 40% as long as it is likely to be more than 0% effective and the safety element is you know not really a significant factor then it's irresponsible to wait also right so the, so every regulator will play safe or most regulators will play safe because they don't want to be blamed for that active risk component because they will True. be blamed right but nobody will ask them about what happens if this vaccine takes another 6 months to come out and 20,000 people die while waiting for the vaccine. Hmm. So which made me think of how much this is a factor, like, you know, so many things from decision making to regulation. Now, the FDA or other regulators probably need to come up with better or quicker ways of approving things in an emergency. I don't know if it's as simple as that. Maybe it is impossible. But I feel like that's at least a problem worth considering that you can't always be only looking at the active risk. You also have to look at Passive risk.
1: Yeah, which is true. I feel, yeah, I agree with some of the points. I don't agree with some of the points, not on a very specific reason, but I think uh, had this conversation been December or January, I, I mm-hmm. feel that it, it was, it was mm-hmm. necessary for us to basically move really quickly and get the phase three. I'll uh, move. Uh, quickly, even without the phase three done, for co vaccine, let's say, right, mm-hmm. or for anything else, for that matter, at that point of time, um, you knew that you had to base, you had a mega problem in front of you. Maybe you didn't even know that phase two was coming, and you know the wave two was coming, and it would create such a, uh, a horrible situation for uh, everybody in India. But even then, you had to move quickly, and you had to basically start vaccinated vaccination. But at the same time, I feel that uh, whatever has happened across the last uh, uh, one year, one and a half years, is a mixture of obviously people catching up. uh, Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, nobody knows what's right, what's wrong. And effectively, the wider population believes that everything is solvable because there is science. But the scientists know that they have to work it out. Science yeah, does yeah. not, not science—is not a button that you press and something comes out. <laughs> so uh, effectively, uh, there are so many things that have to be done before you can actually—you know—the the point that you started about the vaccine, uh, pushing the vaccine for your uncle or for somebody else. The risk is that something happens to your uncle, you will be blamed for it, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, but imagine the role of scientists where oh. they have to basically concoct a vaccine for something that they don't know properly uh, if it's going to be 100% a solution or not. But they have to basically go out and, uh, you know, do that for everybody in the world with different DNA sets and different uh, comorbidities. So everything has to be checked in some ways. So I understand that there's a safety angle that that barrier needs to be crossed. So a lot of people, basically, a lot of come, a com, uh, lot of um, um, uh, countries and their drug control uh, units, like FDA, actually quickened the pace for a drug yeah, they release. Did. So they did. So, uh, but what they couldn't do is that they couldn't basically let go of all the checks and balances that they had, just to make sure that this happened quickly. Because if they did that, there was a huge risk of. Maybe rolling something in the, in the universe which was even more dangerous from a long-term perspective. And we are still grappling with a long-term perspective on this. We don't know of what changes COVID infections have done for uh, yeah. people who have been infected. As in there are things that are continuously happening with COVID patients which are uh, slightly, uh, I, I feel not getting studied enough for sure. Because uh, the local bodies, local doctors are not really great at filtering information right up to the top to a common institution uh, yeah, which yeah. is studying that. So long-term, in fact, is a huge issue here. So in that angle, I feel that had it been January, December, so December, January, February, the, the third phase not being done for let's say something like a co-vaccine is perfectly okay. But we we we're, we're staring down June, in the middle of June, and the lack of that data still with co-vaccine is a little bit of a challenge that is difficult to explain. Just because there's a lot of time that's gone by, you could say that the organisation is more uh, focused towards uh, you know delivering the vaccines for India, which which is a huge problem, and they might not have had the control group. Uh, measured. I don't know what the reasons are, I've not gone in too much in detail. But they they should have had a control group right from November or maybe before that. And that control group's result should have come in by now from an I effectiveness think,
0: perspective. I think what is happening again, I'm I'm I've also not really followed it in detail to really comment, but I think the reason is that they are being extra cautious because of all the negative PR from earlier. So they probably want to make sure that they're yeah, which is fine. But is. the
1: thing is that there are two two risks to that. One is that the there there is a risk if that's true, and they don't come out with it now. There is a risk that oh, everybody who's taken CoVaxin. By the way, I have taken CoVaxin. uh yeah. will have to go for another uh, vaccine, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's another risk. That's another issue. But that issue will not get hidden, obviously with time. So it's you know you're just. The wait and watch game is something that India has played, and therefore we were not ready for the second wave, because we thought this is going to go away without the vaccination. Indian so the... immunity uh, with char you know, turmeric in it uh, <laughs> in its daily diet would take care of COVID. I think that was the general understanding that India had. And wait yeah. and watch. Let's not even. We might not even have to spend this much money. So there were there were maybe those considerations, and I think bio, bio, uh, bio, you know bio vaccine, biotech, yeah. biotech is uh, is trying to basically do something of that sort. I feel it's not it's very iffy.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I think just to clarify, I completely agree with you there. Like you know, mm-hmm. when I was talking about the emergency approval, that is of course then. I think one of the reasons why we have that problem now is again the same you know root problem of passive risk versus active risk is that the government decided to just sit and wait right now when they True. approved Covaxin, it wasn't wrong to approve Covaxin that yeah. probably was taking an active risk, which was smarter. But the problem was that they did not do the same thing for a lot of other vaccines, which are already in the market in other countries, probably Go had ahead. better data. So yeah. that was where they again did this thing where I will wait, I will wait and bank on only these two vaccines, which are either India made or like licensed and made in India because it fits my marketing strategy. And they assume that that wait and watch has lower risk. The wait and watch has terrible risk, right? Like, you know, now okay. uh, if we, I mean, I, I don't know what are the odds, but if you by chance get a variant, which happens mm. to uh, not like, you know, and the variant is able to break through the two vaccines that we have, or maybe at least COVID shield, right? Because 60, 70% of all our vaccinations and hmm. I I read somewhere that that has happened the South Africa variant I think hmm. COVID shield or through. yeah, yeah. So even Delta a
1: terrible one even Delta so the variant which is earlier called Indian variant but yeah which is now called Delta so that also as in some reports have said that um it's not holding up to you know the vaccines are not holding up to. It has Mm -hmm. reduced efficacy, but it still has
0: something. Whereas the South Africa one, if what I read is correct, has like 10 to 20% against the UK strain. So now I think the South Africa strain is not the most prevalent one. It got overtaken by other strains. But the risk is that if you get not Delta, you get Gamma or whatever tomorrow. And if Covishield has only 10% against that, then Mm -hmm. we are screwed because we only have two vaccines. right? And we should have decided... Yeah, bringing Pfizer or something else along back.
1: The the point that you made about, I think we've digressed a bit on active and passive risk and I feel that when, why aren't we looking at passive risks uh, more intently? I feel that, you know, I, I'll wait for your thoughts around it, but my two-bit on this is that oh. maybe there is a risk appetite uh, that I can talk about at least Indians is connected to planning and scheduling your life and planning your pieces. So the risks that we are most concerned with as Indians are the ones... Uh, lost you, Casey. Yeah, the... Ri- so I, I've said risk appetite some 15 times, I guess. <laughs> so the appetite is the factor of what you can see and what you can't see. And I think we are very concerned about... Um, covering our base on the pieces that we can see. Yeah. And I think that's 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 essentially the human ways of, human way of looking and living as well, that we are more concerned about what uh, we can see as risks. And we don't do a calculative risk assessment of what are the, um, you know, what are the repercussions? What are the uh, ramifications of a situation and the ramifications in the future? So your support staff, People who help you in the home, um, your maid, your cook. How responsible do you feel to get them vaccinated? Your driver, right? Oh yeah. Um, now that's that's becoming a maybe a socially woke conversation on social media, and therefore a lot of household uh, uh, apartments are doing it. But that didn't strike us in March. Hmm. That didn't strike us in uh, Jan when we were thinking about our vaccination so we didn't really plan for it did we so i feel you know those are that was a passive risk that we didn't really factor in because either we were um, you know in lockdown at home not needing them or we were not really thinking about outside of our purview so um, i feel that those are pieces and uh, it, even if you were thinking about the uh, about your uh, house helps but were you thinking about the building gardeners the uh, the uh, the people who come to clean, clean your cars the uh, the sh- the environment around you which has so- small shops littered all around that you might be basically consuming from have you thought about where they're getting vaccinated from yeah. an access per perspective so that's a passive risk at all points of time i feel we just did not look at it because our risk appetite is largely focused on the risk that that is imaged
0: to us and is visible. And visible. yeah, and I think that's just to just to be clear, right. like this is a very human tendency that all of us have, including me. Right? Yeah. So yeah. it's not that anybody can really get away with with from this. The only thing you can do is just be aware of that the fact that this is you know something which exists, right? Like so the yeah. first time i I studied about opportunity costs, I think in mm. economics or something. That mm. was like, I remember that felt like an epiphany because I had never thought of that. Like, you know, the mm. opportunity yeah. cost, like I, I'm thinking of 50 rupees I lose here, but the yeah. 50 rupees I lose by not taking this opportunity is something you don't think of okay. and you will not think of naturally. That's why we have to study or learn about it so that in that situation, we won't get it right in all the situations. Yeah. Like you said, okay. you know, we might yeah. think of the maid, but we might not think of the shop outside so you'll yeah. not get it right all the time but at least you can be self aware of this blind spot true so that you can at least in some instances or when somebody points it out you can think that oh yeah i'm i'm not thinking of the passive risk here or my Correct. my policy decisions are not factoring that in governments especially should make sure to like look at that they, they you know more than the everyday person this yes. applies more and, for governments and
1: that's that's why we have as in i don't think we have a dearth of uh, government you know structure or positions and people it's just that i think the way that it, it is getting centralized everywhere from a decision-making perspective not yeah. i'm just ta- not talking about the center center but the uh, even within the state the decision making capability of a bbmp office in your neighborhood is yeah. very minimal as in they can't really take a decision on anything else. So they have to continuously look upwards and therefore planning for all of these pieces gets bottlenecked uh, brutally at the top. And when we look at the top, that person is also looking at active and passive risk the same way we are. So effectively passive risk just uh, does get dealt with. So only the one that basically is a political risk or uh, immediate health risk or something that basically is a risk to their, uh, you know, uh, capital, or uh, their budgeting, their uh, revenue, that gets addressed first. Everything else, that's why you see an an insane kind of an order every time that alcohol shops should be open. Yeah. And then there's so much conversation about, you know, how alcohol, keeping alcohol shops open is a way of uh, also women, women empowerment so the guys don't go up and, you know, beat this. So it's, it goes into absolute, um, you know, uh, insane, uh, inane kind of conversations because we're just trying to justify the active risk at that level as well through the bottlenecks.
0: So what you said about how the government or people in power are making this based on political risk a, mm. is a nice segue into the third topic that I had on tail risk. Because mm. just to explain what tail risk is, So a tail risk, I think it's taken from the investment, uh, you know, world where a tail risk in your portfolio is one, uh, I don't know, not one stock, but it's like an event that you really don't plan for, which is extremely unlikely. Like, I don't know, a stock market crash, maybe that's not that unlikely, but but something else, you know, maybe banks failing or, you know, the rupee crashing or the government failing, something like that. So a tail risk is something which is extremely unlikely. But mm. if it happens, it has the potential to completely destroy your portfolio if it is an investment.
1: Right. Or
0: if you take it into normal everyday life, a tail risk, a pandemic is a classic example of the tail risk. Or mm. your mm. floods when the dams get over, like uh, you know, overwhelmed. So yeah. these are tail risks. And the p- biggest problem when it comes to dealing with tail risk is that because it is so unlikely to happen at any given point of time, Mm. nobody really plans for it so mm. in everyday life a great example which you touched upon earlier is yeah, the, insurance, insurance right mm. you don't it's... want to take insurance for i don't know home insurance or something like that because it's so unlikely but the yeah. for a very low cost you can mm. save yourself against something which although it is unlikely if it happens you're really done for it right? like you're done you don't have any options there correct now so insurance or not taking insurance uh, saving for retirement all things that everybody including you and i struggle with so that's in like for the normal lay person yeah for governments it's even more pronounced in a democracy because mm-hmm. any government is in power for i don't know four years five years if they think right. that they can get two terms three terms they're still mm-hmm. looking at like a decade or 15 years yeah. so why would they be incentivized to think of a Tail risk, which is a once in a century or once in two centuries kind of an event, even though if it happens, you can bet that it can it will change life as you know it. But right. no government at that time is incentivized to really look at that tail risk. And in a way, you can't blame them also because what do you prioritize? You're in power for four years. You have two hundred thousand problems and you have a limited amount of money. Now, do you put some money into like you know planning for a pandemic? You can some some would, but I'm mm-hmm. sure that a lot of people would protest and say that this is a waste of expense. It, yeah. Now nobody will say it. Now, now what will happen is that after this pandemic, everybody will want to invest in safeguarding against uh, another pandemic. But there mm-hmm. would be five hundred other existential risks to humanity that we will not plan for, yeah. and we're just kind of stumbling in the dark, like you know, till we hit the next problem or fall into it. Correct.
1: No, so absolutely. I I, yeah. I, as in, and this reminds me of something that I heard from an, uh, from my ex- colleague long time back, and they used to stay in Ahmedabad. So, um, Ahmedabad uh, experienced, uh, you know, uh, a lot of tremors when the Bhuj earthquake, earthquake happened. Hmm. If I'm not wrong, as in I might be basically getting it wrong of exactly which uh, earthquake, but. Uh, there was there were uh, severe uh, issues with some of the buildings in aldobert and therefore people who were staying on the top floors you know mm. uh, in the next year tried to move to the ground floors or lower floors and mm. a couple of years later there was massive flooding
0: <laughs> sorry i shouldn't so, laugh but no you know. <laughs>
1: no but it is, it is what it is so effectively the thing is that you can't <laughs> oscillate between these two uh, because the way that you close that whole point, right. that our, our attention is going to be um, all towards the pandemic. Now, once we yeah. get out of it, because we will be thinking that this is the example that we need to solve for effectively. Yeah. Right. But there are, you know, there are so many triggers and there's so many, um, um, you know, pieces in the overall puzzle of, of the world that we can actually tell p- our people that these are the things to expect and therefore as a society there are certain things that we need to do so the the kedarnath uh, episode which basically wiped off uh, you know everything under kedarnath uh, in its foothills that mm. massive flooding that happened uh, the uh, ice ice melting and everything basically almost demolished everything that was in the in its path till the base uh, location Uh, till i think um, i'm forgetting the exact name of the place but um, that is an indication for you to not you know stop illegal buildings and effectively looking at your areas which are delicate and very close to nature not to basically fill them up with concrete uh, buildings but if you go back to that area right now on a, uh, on a, on a pilgrimage, it's a part of the pilgrimage uh, cycle. Uh, you will find that most of the things have come back now. Hmm. Another example is uh, the tsunami in 2005, right? It was. Uh, I think the, so. so the tsunami that happened in 2004, December or five, I think is a classic example uh, for the last next 5 years we te- kept talking about tsunamis yeah that was a phenomenon phenomena uh, phenomena that had never happened before and uh, once it happened we talked about tsunamis for the last next 5 years about you know these the small one happened near philippines or you know in the southeast asian belt Something else happened, uh, you know, in, uh, around uh, Malaysia or not Malaysia. I think it was uh, uh, Thailand or somewhere else in the Southeast Asian pool where, you know, islands were getting engulfed and eaten away by the tsunami. So though that's the recency effect. I think tailwinds are, uh, you know, when we are not even looking at passive risks, you um, Tailwinds are you know tail risks are absolutely right at the back
0: and bottom and beyond and yeah uh, you know it it's is like you get a it's like you have a tail risk that you ignore and once it happens you're no longer ignoring it but then but you, you have the recency bias and you're only yeah. looking at that and you're not looking at the 500 other tail risks that you have and you haven't dealt with
1: absolutely and we we laugh at that you no know, sure
0: as in yeah.
1: we we've, we've seen multiple people have these uh apog apog uh, apol apog- what is the word sorry apocalyptic <laughs> apocalyptic uh, events? They have these panic rooms built out. They have bunkers built out where they can survive a nuclear holocaust for about uh, you know three years or four years. As in, sometimes it's uh, it's funny to look at that, but it is real when that happens, and the yeah, people when who are prepping for it.
0: Happens, all of those people, beca- it's like you have a yeah. clock. Even if it's a broken clock, it'll be right twice a twice in a day, right? So okay. it's. I mean, I don't. I don't ridicule those people for prepping. I mean, to yeah. reasonable levels. But the problem is, what do you prep for? Like the example you gave, right? You prep for a earthquake by moving down, but then you get hit hit by a flood because you are living yes. on the lower floor. Yeah. So I feel like the governments or you know our systems should have some kind of long-term machinery. I don't know if it exists. If it doesn't, you have to have some kind of an institution maybe in today's world which Mm. is looking at not the next five years or 10 years or 15 years, but is looking Mm. for things for the next 100 years maybe. And the kind of risks that are coming, making some kind of analysis on it. But to your point, who's
1: who's, uh, incentivizing them? What is the incentive? The incentive is that uh, there is no incentive except The fact that uh, as an economy, when you bring in structured way of thinking, you don't only bring it for uh, pandemic related activities or, you know, near death situations, you bring in a culture of structured thinking. Uh, So that affects your education structures that affects your water uh, and uh, power infrastructure. All of those pieces also get sorted, because that's the culture of, you know, uh, long term thinking that you're bringing in. And therefore, you will reap benefits as in whichever government puts it here now will reap benefits later as well. It is not only about negative thinking in terms of just planning for that activity of another pandemic in the next 40 years or 30 years by the way i feel that that's maybe a possibility right now going by how, how like things
0: probability are. probability with the Pro, yeah of ecosystem degradation and all correct yeah. it, it
1: might not take 100 years it might take another 30 years for something to hit the world like it has done this yeah. time yeah. so um, are you only prepping for that or are you basically just cultivating a culture of long-term thinking and if you cultivate a l- culture of long-term thinking, the benefits are uh, short-term as well. Because you start you know, looking at your institutions, looking at how to improve those institutions, looking at the system to basically for improvement. Uh, our bureaucracy needs a change. Uh, who's going to talk about it? You don't talk about it because it's a structure that was created and maintained since uh, the the British were here. Yeah. And uh, only the Britishers were allowed to get into the IAS uh, uh, you know, faculty. So therefore, the problem is, if you look at the re- recently um, aired uh, web series called Aspirants, which has gone viral, uh, which is from TVF, they start talking about uh, the, 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 the hard work and the, the slim chances that you have to get into the IS. But there's also something called the uh, PAS, I think, which is mm-hmm. a s- section of which is a level below the IS. And then you have state level uh, administrative services, which are another level uh, below. And why do you have those many levels? Because one, that's the structure that we follow. And it is very difficult for anybody from the state uh, administrative service or the PAS to actually move up and go into the IS category, because uh, the the time it takes for a PAS to get promoted into an IS is about twenty years, mm. and an IS basically starts off in five years, exactly at that position. So you're actually looking at a, a structure which is old, outdated, doesn't work because the pool of educated people is the same, and the opportunity if you give them it will be the same. So you can do away with it. You can do one administrative service across India, which will work exactly the same. So there are some structural changes needed. That will only happen when it's long-term thinking. But to the point that you make, the counterpoint is, I am here only for five years. Why mess up the structure? Because if something goes wrong, I'll take blame. Yeah. Or unfortunately, you don't need the benefits once it, once it comes. Unfortunately, to people also think that way. So they don't want you to basically change. We are very change-resistant. So we don't really like big bang uh, decisions. No. But uh, this government at least has taken big bank decisions. It's another point that they don't know you know, why they've taken it and how to deal with it. Or the fact that
0: only one out of five of those will be like the big bang decision you need and they wasted kind the of, opportunity yeah, to like opportunity do to
1: things. do other things and all that stuff and so i think big decisions are needed for us to tackle the third part of what you had written which was about tail risk because we have to look at a long term strategy a long term view of how we move as people what is our culture of you know progressing uh, developing So if we address those, then our ability to basically look beyond our immediate risks, you know, uh, happens. We are still very in in the fight or flight kind of a situation on a daily basis that we are addressing the risk in front of us. And that's the only risk that we think about. There are no other risks that we care to think about because uh, there are so many in front of us that we have to deal with and the rest of the time it's like Hindi movies, right? So people say I have too many pressures at home. Why do I want to watch a sad movie? Give me, give me an entertaining Bollywood movie. And that's about it. Don't give me cinema because I don't, I can't consume cinema. Give me a movie. Give me a fun movie, which is what we
0: did in electoral choices too. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So on a, on a slightly hopeful note, right? Like on, on that, I think some of these problems that you said, of course, exist and there is no easy solution for it because nobody's incentivized to solve for it. But right. I do see one silver lining a ray of hope, uh, like say in Kerala right now. Yeah. I can't be sure about it, but a few years back, like or maybe like more than five, six years back uh, when I was here, I can guarantee that nobody ever had any kind of cultural or administrative tendency to look at any kind of risk Because, you know, it was the right. same, you know, just re, everything, whatever Correct. sort of this thing. Then Kerala had like a series of disasters in, over the last few years, right? We mm. got, we got a flood, then you yeah. got, or before that, sorry, I'm getting the Nippa. sequence, right? Nippa mm. right? Mm. And then you got a slight small outbreak of Nippa again, you got a smaller flood Correct. again, then mm. you got the pandemic, right? Correct. So now, pinaray Vijayan, i think one big reason why he won the second term mm. whether and now you can argue how well he did it or whether the other party would have done better or whatever but yeah. people have gotten into this mode where one disaster was okay they thought it is done and we can move on two three disasters later people right. have got that now here people have that fear like they are not really thinking only of the pandemic or the flood they are like there are jokes about, okay, one year it is this and one year it is this. Now, who knows what the hell will happen. So, mm. I think now here, there is a little more appetite for somebody mm. who positions themselves as, I am thinking of these problems, right? Or, mm. Mm. or you know, let's vote for people who, who can take care of the next crisis, yeah. whatever that is. Which I think is a good sign. I think the way the world is going with global warming and all, I think we'll have a lot of disasters. And only after several will this kind of long-term planning and all start happening. Correct. Not right now.
1: Yeah. And uh, Kerala has uh, the point of, you know, um, certain basics are in place. I feel that those basics are not consistent across Indian states. So, you know, the basics of uh, just local administration working for you, uh, the local um, uh, system of health working for you,
0: yeah.
1: or the education uh, system working for you, municipal corporations working for you. So there are certain, uh, I think, uh, basics that also need to work so that we are not in that, you know, fending off uh, active risk state only. Yeah. Um, in Bangalore, nothing is working. So you're only in active risk uh, position. I feel that yeah. maybe that's that is one aspect that Kerala has. Therefore, we are able to basically think long term.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't think any of these things worked this well before. But yeah. it would still yeah. have been better than the state in other places probably. Correct. And, you know, yeah. then that would have helped.
1: Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Anyway, I think now at the end of uh, close to two hours, I think we have finished all three pretty much for first podcast. And any any listener we would have gained, we would have lost that person by now.
1: By the yeah, by the fiftieth minute. (laughs) There's a a pot of gold after that.
0: Yeah, so (laughs) it's what a pot to start with. (laughs) (laughs) The pot of gold for us is if there is one person who listened till here and are listening to us right now. That's Uh. like a follower we could Good. keep life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> as Cyrus uh, says in his podcast uh, is that you know there are 7 listeners uh, <laughs> 5 of which are my family and uh, <laughs> the other 2 have been basically brought in hostage and kept in the room and asked to listen to this <laughs> so I feel that that's our condition as well oh, um, yeah. even 3 years, 4 years down the line he keeps saying that I hope that we get the 8th one by that Yeah. Time. And- so yeah
0: So there was, I think on Amit Verma's podcast, somebody uh, once took some controversial stand on something and then she started saying that I hope I don't get into trouble for like saying all this and then he was like, you're fine. You're one and a half thousand. (laughs) Like, you know, anybody who's likely to troll or give you death threats would have dropped off long.
1: (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's
0: Mm -hmm. one advantage in audio. Like Even if you write a blog post, you can do a controller. Unfortunately, they don't don't
1: have our faces. uh, They don't know us. So... Yeah, that's unfortunate for us. We are not celebrities yet, but uh, <laughs> fortunate for our lives, I feel. But yeah, yeah excellent uh, that we talked about this. I think uh, both of us also, uh, you know, got to understand each other uh, a little more on those ideas.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, there were things that I never thought of before, like related to it. So, yeah, me neither. Fantastic conversation, and yeah, let's do this again, even if it's two listeners or. Two listeners are us. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Two listeners are us.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Great. Thanks, Casey. I'll figure out how to put some closing credits or audio to this. And thanks,
1: Sharad. Thanks for uh, any
0: listener who you know had the the courage and fortitude to listen this far.
1: Huh. <laughs> you you're congratulated and you're given a free subscription uh, to our podcast.
0: Exactly. Free on every platform. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Heather. Bye.